1: the host of the Jaymore Tech Talk Show and inspirations for your life. Everyone is John Seymourly, serial entrepreneur here, and welcome once again to another fine issue, an edition of the Jaymore Tech Talk Show. uh Great to be with you, Marcus. How are you doing today on this wonderful Friday, the first Friday of May? Can you believe that?
2: Yeah, I can. I can smell the flowers coming already. Good to be with. Unfortunately, you,
1: I'm still seeing snow and, and feeling it, so <laughs> I'm hoping that that's kind of like a. Uh, a misdirection on the GPS. Uh, Mother Nature might be taking a wrong turn and hopefully she fixes it soon.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping so.
1: (laughs) So we have a really great show here for you tonight. We have an amazing guest, Kevin Craig, uh, who's going to be talking to us more about security and more from the perspective of what needs to be done. Now, you remember we had uh, another great guest. We always have great guests. We had um, Dr. Michael Nuchitelli. And uh, just last week, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure if you know this, but we wrapped up NSA, National Stalking Awareness Week. So if you haven't watched those shows, definitely go back in and and go ahead and watch them. So there is an organization out there, uh, Marcus. uh, They're actually called RAND. Um, So that's R-A-N-D. And so um, the thing about RAND is that um, RAND is a... um, It's a corporation that's supposed to solicit and synthesize uh, expert opinion on the need for limits of current technological um, solutions and to make the recommendations to guide the future investments. So the researchers use a combination of methods, uh, one-on-one interviews, case studies of technology, and um, they do surveys and workshops and lots of other things to decide what's working and what's not working. But you know, The more we talk about technology, okay, uh, it's still an issue, especially in schools, ladies and gentlemen. You know, um, using technology to address common and severe forms of school violence is no longer a luxury, Marcus, but it's a necessity. Right. So, just to get into this briefly, because we're going to have a great guest in a little bit. But so some of the things uh, for you to be, you know, having a bird's eye view on one is access control, uh, remote door locks, mobile barricades. Is this things the schools should already be using? ID technology for parking, uh, making sure that people park in the right spots and they only can park at certain times, and uh, you know, just a way of also knowing with their own internal security staff. Where are certain vehicles? And if a certain vehicle pops in, is that something that should cause a red flag because it's not on the typical list? Um, So there's things like that that could be enabled. Video technology. We've talked about cameras hundreds of times. Uh, Motion detection systems, smart artificial intelligence detection. So what we're able to do with smart AI is we're able to look at the perimeter and the area of the schools in different um, settings And so what it can do is it can actually predict, Marcus, when the next fight or let's say lunch party is (laughs) going to break out. And so it's able to learn by patterns. Mm. It's able to look for certain clues. It's even able to count, Marcus, based on what's going on in the world. So it can learn things and you can teach it to do things, which it all uses from the artificial intelligence cloud. Because remember, all this stuff could not be on board that little tiny chip. It would be impossible. Schools are also getting into metal detection systems. And even further than metal detection systems, people that might have guns, unfortunately, on their possession, uh, may bring them in that are not metal. So now we have to become even more astute to how we're going to detect weapons because they might not be made out of metal anymore. Mm -hmm. The uh, anonymous tip line is something that, you know, we've heard about this. It's been all around since I've been in school many years ago. And, you know, the thing about it is that anonymous tip line people say, oh, gee, what am I getting paid or what What do I get for calling it? You know, if you're calling the line because you're looking for a free lunch or a free dinner, I mean, I, I feel bad for you. Uh, there's other places out there you can go, like a soup kitchen. Uh, but the tip line is really not for that. The tip line is for you to provide an insight to officers, to law enforcement, so they can basically jump on what's going on and uh, hopefully nip something in the bud before it becomes a big problem. So it's not about you getting um, FaceTime or recognition so that you could be in the limelight. It's about you helping others. And right. I know that concept seems a little far into some of our viewers, but it's the truth. You know, in this world, we're here to help others. But I think mm-hmm. some people get stuck in that doldrum or cauldron saying, well, gee, what's it going to do for me? Do mm-hmm. we always have to ask, what's it going to do for me? Can't we do something once to help others? Uh, many of you guys know <laughs> that watch the show. Uh, my sole existence for being around is to become a better version of myself and help everyone else become better versions of themselves. People say, hey, John, you're smoking. You're on crack. You're doing something. No, I'm not on anything. You Sure. Sure, you're not high. No, I'm fine. Because, like, you know, you're helping people. Why would you help people? So, my question is, why not? Why have people, Marcus, become so self-centered that they can't spend thirty seconds or a minute to call in something that could save someone's life? Why is that, Marcus? Do you think? You know, I
2: mean, you hit it, hit it at the the head with like the first beginning of, um, you know, what. They are essentially guilty of, and that's being self-centered. You know, it, it, there's people who's uh, really self-absorbed nowadays. Uh, there's a lot of self-interest being promoted ahead of uh, the whole equilibrium of, uh, you know, working together. You know, uh, the lack of cooperation and
1: uh, and trust. And I think people really want attention. Yeah it's not so much they want to be on stage because you give them a stage and they run. They want to get attention, but in their own way. They don't want a big attention. They want like attention from their peers or their group or from their confidants. So it's right. a little different than somebody just looking for publicity. Mm-hmm. I, I guess they want that, Marcus, because they want to feel good so their ego will be stroked. Right. So that's, my, that's my two cents.
2: It's an excellent observation, John. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So, you know, it's not just happening, ladies and gentlemen, at the adolescent level. It's happening as we get older. Now, this wasn't yeah. the case when I was in, uh, you know, grammar school or high school or even college. This changed uh, recently. People that come past the teen years were usually very focused and concentric about helping society. Something happened in the last 10 or 12 years, Marcus. I can't put my finger on it. Was it the millennial generation? Was it the fact that they're feeling, I don't know, quote unquote, entitled? And so because I feel entitled, well, then I guess you're going to revolve around me. And I think that's a horrible attitude that the world is going to revolve around someone else. It doesn't revolve around anybody, really. Uh, it should revolve around everybody itself. It shouldn't revolve against one person. So these are important things. And this is why the schools are going crazy right now. Uh, you yeah. got uh, adolescents and people just out of college that are taking a job somewhere. And they're getting into fistfights, Marcus. They're getting into <laughs> lunchroom battles. Mm. We're at corporate, publicly traded companies. And they have a romper room lunchroom. What the heck is going on? Wow. So this technology that I'm talking about is not just for kids. Violence prevention is something that we're seeing is all around us. And uh, recently I had a chance to talk to a lady and we're hoping to have uh, not her on a show, but to create a show to basically uh, create this awareness. And it centers around stalking and it centers around abuse, not so much physical abuse. We're talking about main name celebrities that mm-hmm. are actually stalking others or non celebrities. Wow. And I just think that's crazy. You might say, well, gee, John, if I have billions of dollars, I could ever do whatever I want. No, you can't. <laughs> I always say you could do whatever you want, providing you don't harm, hurt, or defame the rights of anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, just because you have a billion dollars in your wallet, well, that's nice. But that doesn't make you, Joe, I can be ignorant, and I can do whatever I want, and I can run a red light, and I can do anything I want, and I can steal. I don't think so. Because it's these entitled people, Marcus, that, you know, they just got their brand new car, and the lights, you know, it's a cool thing. They want to go through the red, Is it's just about going through it. It's just really cool to drive through that red light or drive really fast through that yellow light. Yeah, I made it, bro. I made it through the light. You nearly killed half the people around you, but you made it through the light. That's my point. It's not just about selfishness with the person, but in their values of society. And this is something, uh, Marcus, that's very messed up. So we've also got things like alarm and protection systems. We've got scream alarms now. Uh, we've got motion, sound, and heat detectors. And we even have something called reverse nine one one. So that's when the system actually calls you back to alert you of a situation. Mm. We even have 911 now that when you call it and if you hang up, it automatically calls you back from another location to get another 911 operator on the line with you, which I think is pretty cool. So reverse 911 is being used in schools. It's being used in townships, boroughs. It's being used in companies to alert people of, uh, it could be predators. uh, It could be uh, people that are, Potentially, let's say, going to become in serious legal trouble, but usually it's set up so that the environment can protect the innocent. Right. Challenges, as we learned from Dr. Nucciatelli not too long ago, just because you're on the higher end doesn't mean you're innocent. You know, you could be just as guilty as the one. And we, and we said this before that a lot of times the stalker that reports you is actually the stalker, and you're the stalkee. Yeah. They make it look like you're stalking them, which is the way it's painted to the legal bureau. But they set you up, Marcus, Mm -hmm. to stalk you. (laughs) That's messed up. I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: it's pretty sick, you know, when you think about it.
1: And by the way, filing frivolous lawsuits, I know at least in New Jersey, I'm sure in your, your place too, it's against the law to file a frivolous lawsuit. Okay. Yeah. So definitely some uh, growing up, but unfortunately that's not going to happen. Maps of schools and bus routes. So this way, uh, the school and the administration and different people monitoring the buses can see, is there a problem? Even watching the bus... Because I know when I took the bus, sometimes they always told people to sit down and most people behave, but now they're not behaving anymore. So now it comes to the point where if it gets too serious, maybe they might need to summon legal law enforcement or the police to come on board. And I think the kids are becoming more brazen and they just do whatever the heck they want. I mean, they're coming on a bus with a switchblade, stun guns. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's, that's sick. Social media monitoring is something that is not a figment of your imagination. And and you heard what we said uh, a few weeks ago with Dr. Nuchitelli is that it's not okay to do it once, but if a person does it once and they get their, their rah-rahs, okay, fine. We move on. But it's when they come back again and they repeat that behavior, which becomes habitual, now that becomes a deliberate intention.
2: Yeah, at that point, yeah, they just, you know, egging it on and and just uh, calling for some, like, major drama to occur. You know, yeah. it, it, it's really bad.
1: Exactly. And I knew this happened to a good friend of mine. He got inconvenienced for an entire year of his life, almost lost his job with a major publicly traded company. And the guy that actually reported him was actually very close to being uh, arrested himself because my friend, with our help, we had filed a countersuit against the other guy, and he was like, what the heck's going on? Like, the bad guys, the state's supposed to go after him. He's the bad guy. No.
0: You don't have to live with chronic pain. Downtown's Health can show you a better way. Joint pain, back pain, pain that sits and waits. Downtown's Health offers an alternative with physical and regenerative therapy. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown.
1: They're thinking it's just a Haraldo Rivera or a Dr. Phil case. And- the state's not interested in the matter anymore because they see they don't even have a criminal record and Mm. they can see your behavior. And really the issue sounds to be like a personality disorder. Yeah.
2: And that's 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 not something the court
1: has time for. Yeah. So definitely a problem. So, um, you know, all these things exist that we talked about, how you can, you know, protect yourself and Schools can use these technologies and corporations can use the technology to basically be smart eyes to know what's going on. And however, the research of their effectiveness, uh, Marcus, yeah. it's non-existent. So how can we determine what's right? There isn't enough data. There is isn't enough case studies out there to prove what's what. So we need to do more implementation of this to find the right technology to find what's going to work in your environment. We heard from uh, Jonathan Miller not too long ago that when we actually have a situation, it's not just about the technology. It's about the policies, the procedures, and the people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You could have billion-dollar technology, but if you have schmucks behind the cameras or behind the security desk, well, it doesn't matter what you have.
2: Yeah. You saw no that fear. at the
1: airport many years ago, right? How those people yeah. magically got by, like the, uh, like the, the, the lady that, that's, that's going by, uh, and then suddenly, uh, or, or, or the male that's going by, and suddenly the person beyond the counter hits the female button, and that causes a whole trip. And so it seems like an innocent mistake, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. planned on purpose to harass the people. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a real problem. I think security should be non intrusive as possible, as long as it's not life threatening and it should go from there. Our next guest, ladies and gentlemen, I am very pleased and, and proud uh, to welcome here to the Jay Moore Tech Talk show. This man um, also has experience in the um, I should say in, in the legal field. He's, he's done quite a bit in the legal field. But what's a little different about this gentleman is he is part of a um, compliance team. So he is the assistant vice president of safety and security and investigations at Porzio Compliance Services. He's the one um, that is the subject matter expert in law enforcement, management and school security. So uh, he's a great, um, uh, let's say, compliment to Jonathan Miller. And uh, he's also a retired New Jersey uh, police chief who has over 30 years of experience in public safety, emergency management, and school security. He's a licensed private detective, and he's certified as a public manager, police instructor, school safety specialist, and school resource officer in New Jersey. Uh, um, Chief Craig holds a master's degree in public administration with, in case you were wondering, a specialization in school security and safety administration. He has represented the New Jersey State Association of Chiefs of Police in New Jersey K-12 Task Force in conjunction with the Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness and was appointed to the New Jersey School Security Task Force by the Governor of New Jersey as an SME or a Subject Matter Expert. In addition to being certified as an instructor in the active shooter response uh, scenario, de-escalation, and threat assessment, Chief Craig is an instructor for the Jersey School Safety Specialist Academy in the New Jersey Department of Education and a member of the ASIS International School Safety and Security Council and advisory board member and senior instructor for the New Jersey Association of School Resource Officer. Throughout his law enforcement career and beyond, Chief Craig has conducted trainings, Uh, been part of plannings, assessments for public and private schools and colleges in New Jersey, including urban, rural and suburban schools and faith-based institutions, churches, synagogues, uh, et cetera, temples. He is regularly consulted, as we said, as a subject matter expert on issues pertaining to school security in Northern New Jersey. Um, He is also... um, been um, involved with the nonprofit security grant program uh, and been very um, helpful in grant applications, investment justifications, and the vulnerability and risk assessment. Uh, again, with part being part of the team there at uh, Porzio Compliance Services, ladies and gentlemen. Without any further uh, accolades, which he definitely has a- achieved quite a few. Please help me welcome to the jmore Tech Talk Show, Mister. Kevin Craig clap and well, it is a pleasure, as I said, to have Kevin Craig with us today, um, who comes to us from a very uh interesting discipline. We've talked a lot about security, we've talked a lot about uh, psychology, cyberbullying, and things of that nature. Well, here's something that I'd like to say is like a cousin or maybe um, a brother um, in the same family. And if it's not, I believe it definitely should be. Uh, Kevin Craig is the vice president of safety, security, and investigations for a consulting company. We'll learn a little more about that later. Kevin, welcome so much to the Jay Moore Tech Talk show today. Thanks,
3: John. Happy to be here with you today.
1: You know... When we think about security, um, you know, you being in law enforcement and having experience in schools and I think I believe also in um the legal field from working with law firms and stuff, it always seems to hit me that people that are not responders or people that are not doing what you or I are doing, they don't get it, right? They miss that point. They don't understand the other side of the coin. And so what I'd like to ask you today is We all know security is important in schools, in administration buildings, um, federal buildings, et cetera. Why are people not doing this stuff that's life critical?
3: Well, it's interesting, John, because no matter uh, what kind of industry you're working in, whether you're in a, a corporate building, a school, uh, a house of worship um people are there for different reasons right and uh particularly, I work a lot with in the school settings uh, with a lot of my clients, and people didn't become educators or school administrators uh to be security experts and and While the safety and security of of children is certainly uh, a priority, there are a lot of things that uh, school administrators faculty staff have to deal with on a on a regular basis, uh, which often pushes um the safety and security piece. Kind of on a back burner so um while we'd like to be uh, advocate to be proactive in many cases people become reactive until something happens until they have an incident in their business until they have an incident in their school uh until there's an incident in the community they don't really look at the the threat and the risk uh as closely as they should so coming from a law enforcement background um you know, I, I come from that, you know, when, when you're in, in police work or you're in in security, uh, to look at those things, to look at risk and threats uh, and, and how to mitigate them is your job. So uh, that's your focus. So you kind of look at every angle as, you know, how can we prevent this from happening? And if it does happen, how can we respond effectively? Uh, in other disciplines, that's not their core focus. So often the security piece kind of gets pushed back until they have to deal with an incident or, or they're involved in a crisis.
1: You mentioned something very interesting, Kevin, and um, one of your fellow colleagues, uh, Jonathan, uh, brought up as well uh, in one of our prior shows. We're talking about uh, the assessment, that threat assessment. And I remember him sharing with us on the show that it's not about doing something when it happens. Like you said, we have to be proactive instead of reactive. He explained to me how they want to become the students' friends so they can sense when there might be something wrong or even the workers friends and then when there's a change of the atmosphere or of the person's um physicality or personality that it causes you guys to respond differently correct
3: yeah absolutely uh well when it, when it comes to being a school administrator or a manager in an organization who's responsible uh, for mitigating, uh, potential incidents of violence or things like bullying or hazing or other issues that schools deal with. Um, you don't know what you don't know. So we rely on, uh, our students, our, our parents, uh, people in our community to kind of inform us of, uh, the threats and, and things that the school may face or the, or the organization may face. So having that kind of threat assessment piece, uh, in your organization, uh, whether it's formal or informal, can go a long way to prevent violence. We've gotten really, really good. Uh, we practice a lot in responding to Incidents of violence. We have law enforcement training for active shooters. Uh, our kids are doing lockdown drills in schools. Uh, even, uh, even in the workplace, we have we have certain you know certain things that we do to practice how we would respond if we were encountered uh, by a threat. But what we really need to do is establish the relationships uh, with our students uh, so that they're comfortable if they see something. Um, that they say something i mean that's that's the cliche that's the the catchphrase of 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 homeland security uh but it really rings true if if people see things and then they don't report them uh it's of no value uh they just walk away kind of saying well i wonder if that person was really up to something i wonder if that person was really a threat uh, if they report it then something can be done an investigation can take place uh, you know, people in, in those positions can can do their due diligence to kind of, you know, determine the credibility of a threat uh, and whether or not action, further action really needs to be taken.
1: And I think that's a really key point here uh, tonight, Kevin, is that don't be afraid to call the police and to report something. Now, now don't bother them every five seconds because you're hearing a noise. You know, they're going to get crazy with that. But, you know, if there's something outside that's not normal, You know, call them. They don't mind checking it out. They'd rather check it out than to have to deal with a major alarm and have to deal with a lot of other challenges. So I think a lot of people I know um, have been fearful of the police and have not thought of them as friends, but really they're there to help us, aren't they?
3: oh yeah absolutely and and you know law enforcement uh ha- has an obligation to 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 establish those those relationships and and establish that trust uh with their community so it's it's a two way street uh people have to trust uh law enforcement and law enforcement has to earn their trust uh and advocate that that people uh do report things again it's it's helpful to everyone in the community everyone has a role. In uh, safety and security, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, uh, if there's if there's an identifiable threat or even something that appears that it's potentially a threat, um, we need to report those things. Uh, worst case scenario, it's vetted by law enforcement or or security personnel, and it turns out to be nothing. I think most agencies and most people in positions uh, of a you know to to mitigate those threats or, or that falls within their purview uh, would be would be happy to investigate. Any number of threats or reports that turn out to be nothing than have one slip through the cracks and have somebody get hurt or killed uh, or or have a major incident happen.
1: Absolutely. I think they're training people now to become more proactive because of, like you said, the incidents are predicating this and causing problems where they don't have the resources to handle that. But if they would have just caught it early, like a fire, if they would have caught it when it was just something like a little small trash can fire, we'd have been able to put that fire out a lot easier than make it a seven alarm fire, right? I I know I'm being facetious, but uh, you get the idea. You know, and when we think about all these types of technology, you know, we have to protect not only the, uh, for security, we have to protect not only uh, the students, but we have to protect the faculty. We have to protect the contractors, the parents that visits and any guests that come to that school. And that was a big eye opener to me because it's not enough just to scan people's licenses and hope that we're going to catch them because that license is only as good as what they did 24 hours ago or maybe even later than that. It's not enough to say, hey, you're clean five minutes ago.
3: Yeah there there's a tremendous amount of technology available that can greatly enhance uh security everything from cameras like you know we talked about earlier to access control visitor management systems uh, anonymous reporting applications uh to you know the 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 software that comes with cameras uh and the technology can can provide a lot of additional information you know you know beyond just the uh just the image right there's you know there's uh, there's heat mapping and things that can can show uh where people are in the building where people are congregating so there's a lot of technology that's available uh to to schools and other organizations that can greatly enhance uh their uh their security strategies um the The important part about technology is that it has to be useful it has to be user friendly and it has to be integrated into an overall strategy that that uh uh that also includes the people involved uh the staff. Uh, the faculty, uh, the administrators, the students, the parents, uh, and and also robust policies and procedures uh, that support um, you know all the things that that we want to get out of our security strategies.
1: And you were just um, reading my mind there. That last thing I was saying, policies and procedures. I was literally thinking that you said it. It's so important to have those policies and procedures because if we don't have them, we could have the Rolls Royce of technology and things just slipped through the cracks and like, well I have the best camera system well it doesn't matter if you had the best camera system the airports had the best uh TSA scanners but then because the policy was a little lax they were able to let certain things go through because things bumped or so I think everybody has to be on page which I think is not easy right to get everybody on page Yeah. And
3: and that's why those security strategies really need to be comprehensive. You need to have uh, you need to have people, you need to have your people trained and be familiar uh, with what their roles and responsibilities are. Uh, We can't expect uh, reasonably that our staff members who became teachers or or our school psychologists or custodians or,
0: uh, or your teachers to, uh,
3: To understand how to react if we don't train them appropriately. Again, they didn't become, they didn't pursue these careers uh, to be security experts or to be doing lockdown drills. It just happens to be a symptom of the society we live in today that this is something that we have to do. So, uh, you know, much like we do in any other profession, we have to train uh, our staff for for any type of different eventuality they might encounter.
1: I don't think many years ago people were going to be knowing that the word Adam actually was part of a lockdown to find a missing child in a store. Nobody would have knew that a hundred years ago. But like you said, because of an incident and because of a boy named Adam, um, they got that phrase and uh, hopefully a lot of people follow. Even hospitals have certain procedures. But I have another question for you. You know, I've always said this before on my shows that technology is not bad or good. It's how you choose to apply it that makes that choice. Just like a weapon is not good. It's not bad. It's how it's deployed or how it's used. And so um, when we think about the school and we think about, you know, the different kids and the administration, how about as far as being able to track certain things like uh, applications and even maybe social media, which really could open up More than a can of worms. I like to say that um, people feel they're very safe at home or even in school because, you know, they're in a private secluded area in a quiet room. But what they don't realize is that danger is actually more prevalent there than it is outside because they could be learning about that person, get their profile, and then set up a whole strategy that could actually capture that person.
3: Yeah, we we live we live in a world that's very technology driven our our students uh grew up with technology they were born with uh just about born with cell phones in in their in their possession. Uh so technology particularly for our, our younger people uh is is just a way of life. They 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 don't function without it. Uh and you know that does have it does have a certain um, certain pitfalls in addition to uh, to all the benefits that uh, being so relied on technology have and and having so much information readily available, uh, there are potential pitfalls and and uh, that 's something that when we when we try to capture uh, that information uh, by using things like social media monitoring uh, and and open source intelligence uh, th- those things are very valuable for investigators and they can be valuable uh, even in a school setting to identify. Uh, behavior that's potentially threatening uh, to individuals or to uh, to schools themselves. So uh, there's positives in, to that technology. Uh, there's a lot of secure people in the security field that utilize that technology uh, and and have a, a very great outcome. Uh, so there, I think the I think the uh, the cautionary um, issue there is uh, is privacy. Is how you know what are we doing with this information, uh, and how can it be used in a negative way? So we have to be very respectful of the fact that we are using these platforms that we're using them uh, to identify threats uh, and and potentially mitigate incidents of violence, but we do have to be aware. Uh, that that there are p- potential privacy concerns with people's information, uh, and and the way that 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 information could potentially be interpreted uh, if it's taken out of context uh, to to negatively impact a student or somebody else who's the subject of those uh, those social media posts or any other information that that appears uh, online.
1: And this is why schools and also organizations in the last ten years are required to have internet. Um, and uh, social media use policies, or inter- uh, internet and communication uh, policies, how the phone is used, because it's not just the internet anymore. And it's not to be a bad guy, it's because there's a lot of things that can happen. One, um, it annoys somebody. Second, the company could get in a lot of hot water, and I'm not talking a hundred dollar fine, they could be sanctioned to not only have large penalties, they could wind up in jail, Uh, they could really damage a company's reputation in a fraction of a second. And trying to get that back is, well, almost, I'm going to say, impossible. When we think about, you know, security, uh, it breaks down into 12 things. Observation, um, honesty, actually a couple, we're a few less, honesty and integrity, ability to lead and work in a team, communication skills and empathy. A uh, conciliatory attitude, hardworking and flexible, and then also a physical fitness skill. So you have to have the right agility to be able, I think, to handle uh, you know, what's going on. But I think the biggest question that I have uh, probably right now when we deal with schools or we deal with any type of environment is when you say something is threatening. And this is a big conversation that happens. What I may think is not threatening might be threatening to you or to someone else. So it's very similar to harassment training. We have to take this in a very broad spectrum because we have people at all different levels of mind. And the reason I say this is that we do have people we just talked about before that they're going to call the authorities. And they're not meaning to do it, but you're doing something that annoys them. So I guess my question is Uh, Kevin, how do we um, make sure that we're not falling into that trap because we might be doing something that's very innocent, but really what we're doing is considered annoying to someone else or harassing them.
3: So I I think the best way to, to look at that is, uh, through, through an overall overarching threat assessment process, uh, you know, Again, individually, we may we may find something is threatening, but someone else may not, as you just said. So uh, the the way the way threat assessment is moving is the creation of threat assessment teams, multidisciplinary threat assessment teams where uh, you have multiple people. Uh, who have different perspectives, uh, of a student or an employee, uh, interact with them in, in different ways. To give you an example, a threat assessment team in a school might include, uh, an administrator, a school counselor, school psychologist, a teacher of that student, um, Maybe somebody from the security staff uh, who who may have other other pieces, and perhaps even someone from law enforcement, a school resource officer, someone who might have some information about that student um, and and their behavior or their background outside of the school so so you're taking something in in the context uh, that somebody says is threatening so uh, to give an example, a student posts something uh, a cryptic message on social media or a photo uh, with them holding a weapon. Uh, to to one person who the person that reports that it might be very threatening, but when that same information goes to that team, and that that student or that individual is looked at uh, in in a in a more holistic fashion, and that piece of evidence or that 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 specific threat that was reported or potential threat that was reported is looked at uh, in a broader picture, uh, a, a better determination can be made whether or not this is something that's thre- threatening, something that needs to be looked into further, or um is something that's that's kind of looking being viewed out of context and it's not uh it's not a credible threat. So having a process that involves multiple people so it's not just one person's opinion as to whether or not uh something is threatening or not I think is important.
1: So what I like to say on this and this goes back to somebody I knew from a long time that um took action um I'm going to say against that person. They didn't do anything that was threatening or anything that was wrong. They maybe called them once or twice, and they went and filed a harassment claim. Now, the reason I bring this up to you guys is that the police is not here to handle your Geraldo Rivera moments. Uh, They're not here for your Dr. Phil. That's not what this is about. And even though it's going to cause some complication um, to the other party and it's going to, let's say, put them at bay for a little while, I got news for you. It's going to come out in the wash. And when it comes out in the wash, it might take a year for that to happen. Okay. But when it happens, one of two things is going to happen. The other person is going to basically like look like a fool. And the second thing is, uh, I forget the exact name, but there's a name. You probably know that if they file uh, false claims, they're going to be put on that list. Because people do this because they want control. Uh, Law is not about control or an ego. Law is about keeping order and protecting us, but we should never falsify a story. And I, I can't impress upon this enough. I've seen people falsify stories. Somebody I knew for many years spent their whole year, year and a half before they were basically proven innocent. In our country I'd like to say you're actually guilty until proven innocent
3: well i th- i I don't think there's any question that that um, there's culpability uh, and liability uh both criminal and potentially civil for for making false allegations so um, you know it's certainly uh, I don't think that uh, someone should report something that 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 they know for a fact to not be accurate in order to uh, to to put someone in a precarious situation but uh, i don't I don't think that someone making a good faith report to law enforcement or to homeland security or to a school administrator about something that they saw uh, that that they perceived to be a threat even it at the end of the day it turns out not to be I don't think that's in the same category as willfully uh, trying to put someone in a precarious situation by falsely reporting. I think they're two yeah. completely different uh, avenues.
1: Absolutely not. They're, they're totally different, but I wanted to express this because there's a lot of people, and it's particularly around the college age to maybe five to 10 years after college, they have this like thing that they want to control everybody. And they feel that if they pay enough money to fabricate a story, because I got to be honest with you, Lawyers will fabricate a story. You pay them, they will fabricate a story. Uh, his friend, I think he paid like $10,000 uh, and they fabricate a story about the person and they told them how to get him convicted. Now that's just wrong. I'm not even gonna go there. But the point is you have to be responsible with what you report, but you do need to report as much as you can. And yeah, if you go to report something and you know it, it's not a threat, that's not to be held against you. But don't go saying that the person is a threat on your life or you feel unsafe around this person just because you got in an argument with them. See, that's wrong. But I know a lot of people in college that would do that.
3: Well I'm I'm sure there's certainly people out there that do that. I just, you know, and again, I the attorneys the attorneys that I that I know and I work with um have the highest of ethical standards, so they do certainly don't fall within that category that you Which is a good uh, thing. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's some that aren't
1: are not on that side of fence. So, uh, I don't know where those other people and how they got the bar uh exam passed, but they did. <laughs> so, obviously, um reporting is very very important. And when we talk about no technology and uh, being part of things. And when things are free, I like to say when things are free, they're not free. There's a cost associated. It just may not be something you pay with money. It might be your privacy or it could be something else in your life. And so how is it that one person, whether they're an adult, whether they're a child, how are they to know whether the condition that they're in is a safe condition and i know it's a general thing but i, I really am going here for a reason w- what are the benchmarks that somebody should look for to know that this situation is not threatening because let's face it people that this might happen in the, middle of the night how do we know that something is just not threatening as opposed to threatening And that's kind of where i want to go in a broad sense because in the middle of the night they may not have somebody right there what kind of questions can they ask themselves to figure out, is this just my ego or is this really something that's, um, you know, something I should report?
3: Well, I think, I think uh, in a lot of ways, it comes down to um, the, the, what your, your gut instincts. If, if you're, if you're really feeling as if you're legitimately threatened by someone uh, and there's there's indicators, whether it's something on social media, something somebody said to you or an, an interaction face to face that you had with someone and you feel uh, that you are, in fact, threatened. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that anybody hesitate reporting. And I don't know that you that anybody can really say uh, for sure, 100 percent, that um, if they perceive a potential threat, that they're that they're not uh the, you know, that that threat is not credible until uh, somebody, you know, whether it's law enforcement or a school administrator uh, or an employer, um, you know, conducts an investigation to, to make that determination. Uh, sometimes there's facts that exist. Uh, there's explanations for things that I, there's explanations for comments and behavior uh, that can that can minimize the credibility of, of a potential threat. And likewise, uh, there's information that that might come up during the course of an investigation or an inquiry into a complaint uh, that might uh, enhance the the credibility of a threat. So uh, to to say that there is a specific um, level of concern that someone should say, I'm not going to report this or I'm going to report it. I think it comes down to your personal intuition, uh, whether you feel that something is is legitimately or potentially could be a threat uh, and you make the report. Uh, provide as much information as you can and let the individuals who are responsible for vetting that that information uh, and determining that credibility make that determination.
1: And we'd rather have something reported and it go to be nothing than to not report something and then later on it become, like I said, a four or five or seven alarm emergency.
3: 100%.
1: Down the road. You know, when we think about schools or we take about uh, corporate buildings, uh, access control has come a long way. What do you think schools need to do? Because we talked about budget concerns, and that is a concern. So how do you show a board that they need to get something when they keep putting money in? What, what, what's your caveat uh, being in the consulting? What, what is the magic to letting the board understand that, hey, this is something that's in, – in medical field, we'd say it's medically necessary. In school, there isn't a term that says it's like school necessary. What is your way of saying, Hey guys, you really got to do this. We've had three incidents. Like what, what's your way of showing them that you got to take this recommendation?
3: Well, I, I just, I really like to, to talk to my clients about uh, what the standard of care is really uh, when, when we, when we look at uh, just schools in general, um, access control is, is a significant, uh, significant issue. Um but you know there's there's very few schools that you can get into these days without coming to a main office single location uh buzz you know hitting a buzzer uh that you're on you know a you know a video- you know a video conference with someone in the main office uh who's who's hopefully is vetting uh your identity and your purpose for being in the building uh, that that's that's become the standard of care if you're doing anything less than that um it potentially, you know, you'll have some some work to do. Uh, But that being said, every school has different resources. Every school has different budgets. Every school has different um, physical facilities. Uh, Some are brand new. They can put whatever type of technology, security measures they want. And some are decades old where they have to retrofit older buildings. Uh, So I I don't think it's as easy to say that every school has to do X, Y, or Z. Um, I'm a big advocate of the fact that there's no one-size-fits-all Uh, There's some best practices there. There's some some technology uh, and policies and procedures and training that could be easily implemented uh, in just about every school, regardless of of your resources. Uh, But, you know, you 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 may not know that until you really take a holistic look uh, at your school facilities. Uh, Review your policies and procedures. Make sure you have a comprehensive, compliant uh, safety and security emergency operations plan uh, and that you're training your staff. And then the technology can come afterwards. If you have those basic uh, foundations for security Mm -hmm. uh, and training and and policies and procedures, uh, you can build on that with technology.
1: But what I've seen being always the challenge for a lot of schools is school ends at a certain time, right? And everybody thinks because school's over, well, security needs to end. It shouldn't. It needs to continue if there's aftercare or other programs going on um some of the schools have gotten smart now where they keep the security guards there and those security guards are actually trained in threat assessment or they're in law enforcement some of them have guns on them not on their person but they have access to them and some schools allow that and some schools don't i think it's still an issue of you know how do you do this you want to be um transparent but you also want to not come off with the spirit that you're the US Navy. You know, you want to have that presence, but you don't want it to be very known uh of what's going on. You want to kind of have I guess I'd say a subtle presence. So people know you're aware um but they're not fearful of you.
3: So so that's you know that that's community specific really. Uh there's some uh there's some communities that want to have uh, school resource officers or law enforcement officers uh, park their vehicles right out in front of the school to let everybody know, "Hey, we have an SRO here." Uh, and there's others who uh, who who would rather not have a, a school resource officer or or law enforcement presence in their school on a daily basis. Instead, they have some other uh, security strategy where they have um, home monitors or or security uh, staff that are that are district employees. Uh, so that that's really district specific. Um, but the bottom line is you, these schools have an obligation to safeguard, uh, their students and their faculty and their visitors. And that does extend to your point, uh, does extend beyond the school day, just because the bell rings at two uh, doesn't mean that, that we no longer have to protect the students and the, and the staff and the visitors that are coming after hours, uh, especially when, when we're, when they're there for school sponsored functions, athletic activities, uh, clubs uh you know different different reasons that they're still on school grounds. we still have to provide a safe environment if we're uh sponsoring those school environments uh we've we're seeing more and more incidents um this year and and in 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 recent years of uh incidents of violence at sporting events, football games, basketball games uh outside the school at dismissal time uh so so that you know that that's evidence that we need to really carry our security strategies beyond uh, the school day and make sure we're securing uh, special events in addition to uh, what we do during the school day.
1: You got a good point there. Now, a lot of times they'll stay till four or five or whatever it is, which is good. They do that. But when there's a basketball game late at night, maybe at seven o'clock or if there's a weekend game, they don't bring those security resource officers on. They just don't do it. And I guess it's a cost issue, but you're right. That's when those things happen. It could be a a, a fight in the parking lot. It could be some argument. It could be anything. Uh, and I, I guess, like you said, it it's not, it's unfortunate, but nobody does anything until something happens. Right. It's like, nobody sees the value.
3: Well, the, the, you know, school security just like workplace violence and incidents of violence in houses of worship um, when they happen uh, there's a hypersensitivity and there's, there's immediate, what seems to be immediate action. Everybody wants a quick fix How do we make our schools safer? How do we make our workplaces safer? How do we make our houses of worship safer? Uh, And that's when they often look to uh, some form of technology. This is, this is going to be the magic thing that, that, that fixes it. Uh, So it kind of goes, the focus kind of goes in peaks and valleys. When you have a a recent incident, uh, then everybody wants to do everything at, at all at once to try and mitigate anything from happening, um, Happening again, or, or happening in in their school, um, you fast forward a month or two, six months, eight months, ten months without another incident that's nationally publicized, uh, and that focus again tends to fade, uh, and the resources go to other places. So um, again, I I hope that that you know that that our school administrators and our you know our managers in our workplaces really focus on security all the time, not just when there's, there's been a, a recent high-profile incident uh, that, that brings it to, uh, to attention. It should be something that's done uh, you know, year-round all the time, not just when there's an incident that gets some publicity.
1: I couldn't agree more with you, Kevin. And I have to say um, the, my church that I belong to uh, here in town um, was a perfect example of why we had a step of security. Well, we had a kid from town Uh, literally set the church on fire. We still don't have our church back. We're hoping by Easter that we'll start rebuilding. In 18 months, we'll get our church. But when that happened, we moved over to school. Then, you know, we had COVID. They were were checking numbers and stuff. And we used COVID as an excuse, but it really wasn't the main excuse because now people are coming. There's still a security guard there. They're still checking the numbers. They're still getting to know who are the people coming in there I remember one time uh, I had my parents there and they recognized the car guy went out to the car. He says, excuse me, sir. He says, uh, are you here? Sir? Oh, yeah. My son's here. Oh, OK. Who's your son? Because they know every car and almost every person, which is good. But the minute some car shows up or some other car was there, like there were kids playing basketball. What are they doing here? Or I noticed it was, And they just go over and they kind of handle issues before they become a problem. But they're very expensive to have those guards, and there's just one of them, and they're usually on about an hour before Mass, and then they're usually off uh, about a half hour after Mass. But this is something that's needed, I guess, churches, synagogues, to to make people feel secure, um, because the most damaging time is when people are there. But yet our most travesty happened when no one was there. Thank God no one was there. Um, So... Our next step is we can't have security guards around the clock. We can't do that. So we have to have cameras that monitor when somebody gets too close and have it linked to a police station and they can literally go and check out when somebody gets too close to the building or something like that. I mean, it's sad we have to do that, Kevin, but I guess that's kind of where we're going, right?
3: well, i I think unfortunately, you know when when uh, nobody nobody likes uh, to to have their houses of worship or their schools uh, look like fortresses or be so heavily focused on on safety and security, um uh, but the alternative is uh, we don't we don't necessarily have it. so so it it's it's kind of a uh, you know an acceptable risk uh, type of scenario. so um there there's a lot of measures that can be put in place that you know that that can provide security. Uh, that don't make our houses of worship or our schools or our businesses look like you know prisons uh but the bottom line is security is not inconvenient uh and the, you know basically what it comes down to is uh you know there there's there's certain uh you know common sense security measures that we really need to to implement uh to if we really want to have uh, the highest level of safety that that we can and, and even with that, there's no one hundred percent guarantee uh that if we have that guard sitting in the back of our of our house of worship or walking through our school hallways that that an incident's not going to happen. Uh, it just it just kind of minimizes the, uh, the the possibilities and gives us a quicker response to mitigate any any potential incident that happens.
1: That's why people do it. So remember, it, ladies and gentlemen, it all starts with you. So, you know, if you see something, say something. Uh, but everyone has to be on board with this. So if there's a policy, there's a procedure. And even if you don't like it, uh, you really should follow it, because if one person doesn't do it, another person, before you know it, we get anarchy and then no one's following the policies and procedures and everything that organization, that school, that charity, that federal institution tried to put together has now crumbled right before your eyes. Well, Kevin, this has been an amazing um, uh time with you and learning about security hopefully uh this opened a lot of eyes to a lot of parents to maybe a lot of administrators uh and to hopefully some students because again this is everyone's responsibility and even contractors and and visitors uh ladies and gentlemen um this is mr kevin craig who is the vice president of safety um security and investigations uh consulting firm and and what firm are you with kevin if you'd like to share that
3: I'm with uh, Porzio Compliance Services out of Morristown, New Jersey. Okay.
1: Um, so again, I definitely want to thank you for um for joining us uh, today and uh, helping people to understand that education is actually the key to prevention. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I've learned a lot, and I know and I know our audience uh, definitely has learned a lot, and I hope that you'll choose to use this, to do what I see every day, believe and achieve, to make our lives better and those around us to the ones we love and care about. Thanks for being a guest, Kevin. And uh, we hope to have you again on another great show.
3: Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks, John.
1: Well, that certainly was a a breath of information. Yeah. There's a, a lot going on in our world that I think people just don't take seriously. And I think school security is just one part of the puzzle.
2: It is, you know, you know, uh, we're going to see some increase in school shootings and we got to be prepared. We got to care about these kids and, you know, we can't just sweep these things underneath the rug. I'm glad, you know, you brought our guests on to kind of like highlight, you know, what's happening and where we should be going.
1: And knowing that, You know, I think all the people I bring on from this gentleman to Jonathan Miller to Dr. Michael Nogitelli to many others that I've had on and I'll bring on. It doesn't negate the fact that there's a responsibility and accountability. And that needs to be the mission of the team, the school, the principal. It's everybody's responsibility. uh, It's not like just me because I'm head of security. It's everybody's role. And I Correct. think when we start to understand that, that's only when it's going to become successful.
2: Yeah, you got a point. Got an excellent point there.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are just about uh, to the end of our hour here. It's been another amazing show here for you guys. And so security's no joke. So we need to get educated so we can properly protect ourselves hey ladies and gentlemen you like my hat i know you do well we're gonna have these hats available pretty soon so you can get a hat just like john believe and achieve uh you can go to believe dot com. you'll see a plethora of information and videos allowing you to be able to become a better version of yourself and help everyone else become better versions of themselves well marcus i guess we gotta say goodbye Bye. We will see you guys next week, which is, yes, May 13th with another great show. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, watch all my other great videos. I'm John C. Morley, international podcast talk show host, and now a new voice on radio in the Chicago area. So definitely uh, keep your eyes out for all we're doing on the J Moore Tech Talk Show, and we're going to be turning two years old on, sh- on June 26th. And we have a birthday party planned. That's all I'm saying. I will see you guys next week if you don't see me in another video real soon. Have a great weekend. Be smart. Be safe. And get educated.